Hi, this is Jim Lauderdale, and you're listening to the California Country Show. Hey, folks, how you doing? Welcome back to another edition of the California Country Show podcast. I am your host, Dave Bernal, also known as just Dave. Stand by for greatness. We got a great one today as the legendary Jim Lauderdale calls in. And it's Americana Fest week in Nashville, Tennessee, which is why I'm trying to get this podcast out to you so quickly this week as the California Country Show has an event with Jim Lauderdale. I'll tell you more about that later. And not only that, it's been such a crazy month for the California Country Show. You know, like I said before, this podcast has been around for a few years, took a little break, and all of a sudden I'm back. And here we are, not only getting great interviews and guests on our bi, is it bi-monthly? Which is the one that's twice a month? Bi-monthly is twice a month. Bi-monthly podcast. But also, the radio show, the full tunes and our themed episodes are on four different radio stations as we speak. And now I can announce where those are. KTNK Radio Lompoc, KLBP, Long Beach Public Radio, The Ranch 99.1 in Simi Valley, and KCNQ Kern River Country. Thank you all for accepting our weekly California Country Radio Show. Now, if you go to California-Country.com, hopefully it'll be built by then. Still working on it. Those dates and times and where you can stream it, no matter where you live in the world, you can hear the California Country Radio Show from those radio stations' feeds, which is super cool. I'm playing a bunch of great artists. This last week, I played a bunch of artists from our showcase at Americana Fest, which stars Jim Lauderdale, Jamie Wyatt, Brian Wright and the Sneak Ups, Garrison Starr, Leroy from the North, Manda Mosier, Just Dave Band, hey, they're good, Ted Russell Camp, Tony Ellis, Lasers Lasers Birmingham with an all-star house band. It's at Acme Feed and Seed Friday, September 13th from 12 noon to 4.30 p.m. Well, Jim Lauderdale is a songwriter's songwriter, penning and collaborating on hits from George Strait, Dixie Chicks, and California's own Gary Allen. He's got 31 solo albums under his belt and counting. He's not slowing down. He's dubbed the godfather of Americana by his peers, and I'd wager to say there's um, he knows a lot about the music biz. In fact, in this podcast, we talk about his time in L.A. at the Palomino Club right here in North Hollywood, California, where drummers are rehearsing all over the place. I'm sure you can hear them. And the value of going to like a jam night and how that can get you and your career started. I'm releasing this podcast on the heels of Americana Fest, where Jim's the headliner at our showcase. I'll have more info on where you can find Jim and where you can find us all over the place. But I want to tell you right now, if you're listening to this radio podcast and wondering more about the show, go download the Americana Fest app and add the California Country Show. Follow the acts on the lineup, just Dave Band being one of those acts. And just we'll catch you around town. I'll be in town all week long. And of course, I will be back in California. If you're listening to this after September 13th, you know, I'm back in California, back to interviewing a bunch of great people. And I'll have a lot more to tell you at the end of this show. But for now, here it is, my interview with Jim Lauderdale on the California Country Show podcast.
I don't know if you remember, uh, we met several years ago. I was about 19 or 20 years old in a band out of Bakersfield called Lisa Bowman and the Wild Ones. And I played harmonica and you were there. You were there for Buck Owens' birthday party. Right. Along with Marty Stewart and the derailers and Radney Foster and Dwight. Yes. God, that was an amazing night, wasn't it? It was great. My favorite memory, as we were getting ready in the dark to play, uh, Garth Brooks called in over the loudspeaker to have have (laughs) the stadium wish him a happy birthday. But yeah, I remember you, how you were so kind to us being, oh. you know, up and coming musicians and especially to, to Lisa, who, you know, was really about to make her move. And we did very well after that for, for a few good. years. And I just remember you being so kind. Um, oh, yeah. Good. So I want to thank you for that. It feels like the sure. ad- I don't know if it's advice that you give or just the wisdom that you have from your experience, but you just don't keep secrets. You are a wealth of information and you just don't mind sharing. Is that some, do people come to you often for that sort of advice? Um, I, I'm not sure about that, but I guess the way I feel about it is it's not as if you tell somebody something that could help them, that it's going to mean they're taking something away from you. You know what I mean? It's because we're all so different and all have different opportunities. It's kind of good to share that info with people. You never know, you know, what might happen. And I just remember certain instances of my life where somebody allowed an opportunity for me to happen, which then changed the course of my career and life, Mm. you know, just, you know, like maybe, you know, for instance, my first gig in New York City was a guy named John Nessler hooked me up with this place called Olunny's to do solo, uh, you know, solo sets between the bands. And that allowed me when I got up to New York, it it really gave me something and and already set up before I went. There's something like that. Or well my manager at the time got me on this Ricky Skaggs live at the Ryman T V show. And mm. there I approached Ralph Stanley about doing a song uh for my record and um uh, got a country record and he agreed and then that led to gigs with him and albums with him and Grammy nominations and Grammy and yeah. you know those those kind of opportunities I mean it's like I say there's many of those in my life that that have uh, you know doors that have been open for me and so I, I'm always glad if, if that's possible to do it for somebody else. You know, that's what we're here for. Especially because this business is so tough. uh, I don't really think that anything is, is really private among artists. I think we should tell each other these things, you know? Yeah, Um, exactly. And, and also like when I've given songwriting classes or something, I tell them what I, I mean, my process is kind of unconventional and, Mm -hmm. you know, but just, just different tips different things to avoid, different things to go for. It's not a competitive music and and business is competitive in certain ways, but it just means you've got to try hard, you know, and 
somebody else's something good is going to happen for somebody else and if you want things to happen for you you just have to keep working at it you know it's not like someone else takes this opportunity away from you you know it's, yeah you don't it's, become lower down the rung just because no, you help someone uh, rise up right and it's kind of like say for instance in the nashville um songwriting world as far as getting cuts with people uh-huh. it's kind of it's kind of almost like going to an audition for a movie okay and you might have you might be six feet tall with blonde hair but they're looking for a guy who's five feet tall with with black hair with you know the and these kind of features oh, it's goodness. like a casting thing you know what i'm saying and so it's the same with songs it's like if your song doesn't resonate with a producer or an artist and and somebody else does it doesn't mean that they came in and and got in front of you it just means that that you know, better that worked, fit. Yeah. that worked for mm-hmm. them yeah yeah you just never know i know it's it's great information to have i mean i i feel yeah. like for for me leading a jam night for so long here and then just kind of doing this podcast and this radio show as kind of like I feel like somewhat of a of a mentor, I guess. Um, sure. You know, I want to share these real stories with people. I want to share this, yeah. the triumph and, and also just the struggle of the music business. And I learn a ton from asking questions like this, too. You yeah, know, for, sure. For and, and hey, by leading a jam night, you never know, you know, somebody's new in town. Yeah. And they're looking for some kind of some place to go and and play you know and you're providing that for them and and who knows what might happen for them and that's how i started is just kind of going and you know bringing my harmonica uh and saying saying you know whatever i can do i'm 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 in it to to meet people and and that's how i got started yeah and you know back in the palomino days ronnie mack had this barn dance oh we know ronnie love ronnie you know he just yeah i just can't count what he gave to people by having that, you know, it, it was our haven. And he was a huge part of that because, of the, you know, we, we could, you know, most of us played there occasionally for regular gig gigs, but that barn dance just gave us all this place to go. Yeah. And, and then later, um, Billy Block, who moved to Nashville, uh, started his version of that here, and, and the same thing happened. I mean, he really, you know, that that helped a lot of people, you know, because we, as writers, musicians, singers, we have to have an outlet, you know. We we, I mean, you know, we we have to have places to play, whether yeah. it's you know, no matter what the circumstance, you know. I mean, gosh, think of. You know, really think of the times that you you do some kind of um, have a musical experience and some of the some of your favorite times were you weren't even getting paid, you know, or or it was like a jam or or something impromptu. Those are the real, you know, magic times also. I think they're magic because the pressure is so low. I mean, right. I mean, that's a good point. The yeah. an, the anticipation. I mean, I remember <clears throat> going. You know, the Palomino sadly was before my time, and I keep hearing these stories. And you know, 
um, just I just you know going to a jam night that I used to bring my harmonica to, and just just the 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 tingle down my back and the nerves of like, oh man, these guys have been around forever. How am I going to impress these dudes? Right. And then getting up and and understanding that they're just they're just like me. They're just they're sure. just uh, some of the funnest times of my life. girl like you like a hole in my head I need a girl like you like a hole in my head let's just say we will and then don't instead wild goose chase wild goose chase what brought you to LA originally because I know that you you lived here for several years right yes I did I had been in New York City there was a great country scene there. Mm-hmm. I, I got there in the fall of 79. There were some great musicians that had migrated up there, a lot of them from Texas. And there, and it was kind of, New York City was such a vibrant place and, and a favorite place for, you know, folks to to tour through. And there are some really good venues and met Buddy Miller there in 1980, and he was kind of the, to me, he was the king of of the scene. He was so great. I mean, he still is, of course. But but anyhow, that started slowing down a little bit. That, uh, Running his course. Started, yeah. yeah, some of the clubs started closing. I ended up getting, I did this off-Broadway play while I was gigging, called Cotton Patch Gospel, and I played banjo and guitar. I was one of the musicians. And I got offered a chance to go out to L.A. to do the play out there called Pump Boys and Dinettes. And it was written by a guy I knew, some folks I knew from my days in North Carolina and Chapel Hill. Also, I had done a play playing Jesse James, and Sean Colvin played my wife. Huh. And there was a band called the Red Clay Ramblers who were the backup band, basically, this old-timey band. And I was kind of thinking, you know, that these plays would, first of all, I'd be able to make a living doing them and get get experience performing, and also that it would somehow lead to a record deal. That was my real goal. And so I got this opportunity to go to L.A., and I I thought I'll go out there for about two months, make a little bit of money, come back to New York. And when I got there, things in L.A. for the first – I mean, the doors just started opening up. And a friend of mine named Eddie Betos, he was the only guy I knew. Hmm. Um, other than the people in the, the, the play, took me to Raji's the first night I was there, and I saw this guy, this band, Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs. Oh and yeah! I was just, I was just knocked over. It was so great, and it was so the the vibe in the club, and it was just really exciting. And then. Uh, the next night, I he told me about this place, the Club Lingerie. 
I went there and there was Rosie Flores playing, who just totally blew me away. Oh yeah. And and I met a um a woman who was a singer in the scene back then called Candy Kane. Oh yeah. And yes. so we started talking and she said, I can book you at Raji's. I, I, I mean, I, I can book you at Raji's and here at the club lingerie. So I said that that would be great. So I really owe her and, and I'm so sad that she's passed she away. Did. She did pass away recently. And, yeah. and she, you were, we were talking earlier about somebody that does something nice for someone. Yeah. And if she had not gotten me the gig, you know, she got, she made some calls and got Dwight Yoakam's rhythm section. And so my first gig, Dwight came to the gig and and Pete Anderson. But gosh, talk about pressure, you know, for my very first gig <laughs> and then knowing Dwight Yoakam is out in the audience, you know, one of my heroes and and Pete. And um, and I met a guy um, named John Chamboti, who Billy Brimner said, well, this this man is managing me. And see, I was such a huge rock pile fan of that group and all the guys in it and Elvis Costello. Yeah. You know, there was this kind of thread I felt between these British guys that I loved so much and what I liked. So Billy said, you ought to meet this guy. He, he's, you know, my manager. And so he took me on as a client and Pete Anderson got interested and producing me, so we did a production deal. And I started getting, you know, I started playing Raji in the club lingerie and the anti club. Now, had you moved and, out and to the Palomino? Oh, yes, yeah, I'd moved out there. And so, part of the whole to going out to California, where, where at first I was not really that open to it, but it's like, well, this is where Graham Parsons lived, you know, and yeah. I'll, I'll soak up some of that stuff. So, that was really an important element of it. I lived for a while in this place called the Magic Hotel, which is right next to the Magic, Magic Castle. Castle. Yeah. Uh, I was reading Sid Griffin's biography of Graham, and it was the first one out. And, um, and there was a story about how Graham had this party, and he started playing George, George Jones's records for people who hadn't heard him and he started crying and he said that's the king of broken hearts and so when i read that this melody started coming out for, mm. for a song i ended up writing called the king of broken hearts of course and, we know it well uh, yeah pure country <laughs> and, and i went out to joshua tree the next day and finished it out there wow. at cap rock where and it was a full moon and um uh so that song you know it, it was inspiring and motivating to write new stuff to play it my gigs out there and you know so during that time i got to be friends and do stuff with folks like rosie flores and chris gaffney dale watson james entfield mm -hmm. this scene it was just such a, a happy time for us yeah, it must have been electric. It's so hard it, to do that nowadays here. Yeah. And it's coming back. I mean, there really is okay. a grow. I mean, a lot of us country singers would employ 
these great backup guys, you know, like a J.D. Maness yeah. or, uh, yeah. you know, definitely Ronnie Mack has been instrumental in, and he's a, he's a fan and a friend, you know. It's great to yeah. have support from someone like him. And, yeah. you know, just, just talking to people that are working in the industry here in L.A., you know, a lot of us, we we lose people to Texas and we lose people mm-hmm. to, to Nashville every year. Um because of the, you know, the, the, the structures are, you know, you like you yeah. did when you left New York. The, the scene was just sort of, I guess, drying up and, and things like that. But here, it is, it is we're working on keeping that, <laughs> keeping folks coming back. And, and you know, there's folks like um, Brian Whalen, um, yeah. Kevin Jarvis, and Mitch Marine, the, mm-hmm. the guys in Dwight's, Dwight's band. band yeah. and, and Dusty Wakeman, by the way, was really a huge important person in my life and uh, music wise and personally and um um we met uh through pete and he engineered this epic record which sadly ended up not coming out yeah so i I know you mentioned that but i have have not seen (laughs) well it's a long story and i think i know what happened but it was really disappointing because pete felt that there were like seven singles on it and the at first the record company loved this one song and they rushed it out as a single kind of not as not at a good time um of the year for singles and then that didn't really do much and then they said they didn't hear any other singles so then i kind of languished over there yeah until my my option ran out um, then I did a, uh, uh, a record with Warner Brothers, which I was or, or happy about, or Reprise. Um, and so that was exciting because Dwight was there and Graham Parsons had been on Reprise. And so I ended up, I'd been writing a lot with John Leventhal, who lived in New York City, and I would uh, fly there a fair amount and write with him. And he is this genius, amazing writer and guitar player and producer. So Rodney Crowell, who was another huge influence and hero on me, ended up producing, he and John ended up co-producing the record. And Mm. unfortunately, timing, bad luck, whatever, um, that record did come out after a delay, this record, Planet of Love, but it didn't do enough. That was a, that was a drag. But it's just, you know, that's the music biz. And um, it seems that you have a lot of stories of record labels. I went through your catalog, and it's just I, I gotta imagine that you're a wealth of information on what it's like working either for or with a record label, and what experiences that you have were were great or you know just just heartbreaking. Well, it was both. It was both. It was um, in those early days there in L.A. when I got my first record deal. I'd been wanting one and trying for one since I was a teenager. I wanted to start out with bluegrass music in my mid-teens. And just things wouldn't happen. And I even did a bluegrass record in Nashville I came here before I moved to New York and with one of my bluegrass heroes, Roland White, 
Clarence White's brother. And there again, that thing didn't come out. Years later, when I actually when I was doing the Warner Brothers records, I contacted Roland and I said, okay, now I'm sure somebody will put it out. But we um, realized neither one of us knew where the master was. And then, oh boy. so that, that was a drag. It's like, gosh, you know, and then, so for years I was thinking, man, that is such a shame. It's a shame. Oh, wow. And, um, <laughs> and then um, Roland's wife found it. So last year it finally came out. So it became my 30th record and it would have been my first. So it was kind of a, a, a milestone. Wow. Uh, so the thing is, and, and so after the reprise record didn't do anything, Dusty uh, Wakeman said, hey, listen, I've been talking to this A&R guy from Atlantic named Tom Carolyn, and I think, you know, he's interested in doing something. So we did a record really cheap, at Moondog Studios, mm-hmm. Mad Dog Studios, and it was in Venice at the time. And um, so that that came out. It's called Pretty Close to the Truth, and it was it was kind of this mixture of stuff. I mean, I, I don't know if you'd call it singer songwriter now. You could call it Americana, but right. I mean, you could you could call it country too, you know. But it was the the guys. I was playing with Dusty on bass and Donald Lindley on drums and uh, uh, Gerf Morlicks mm. and but and Buddy and um, uh, Skip Edwards on keyboards, and so that came out. And then we, um, I wanted to do a follow up like a year later. I wrote a lot of the songs a few weeks earlier out in uh, 29 Palms Inn, a place mm-hmm. I used to go out a lot. And so, unfortunately, when that record was about to come out, there was a regime change at Atlantic. I'd been touring a fair amount, and, um, and Atlantic had been really helpful setting me up with different artists to tour with, and my agent did too. And I, I was... Things were really cooking. And, and then, then they fired fell. that guy. <laughs> and, and, and then that fell through. And so I ended up, anyway, you know, the thing is, is that while there was huge disappointment um, in some ways and heartbreak with that, there was always something with each album. So I'm really grateful for all of them, all of those chances and Mm -hmm. and to be able to do those records. And then after my last major record deal, which was on RCA here in Nashville, I just, I got hooked up with some different independent record companies and I just kind of do exactly what I want to do. And I ended up in Nashville. I started commuting here more and more and finally kind of made a move in about 95. I still kept my place in LA for several years. And, um, but the road and different things kind of kept me from going back as much as I wanted to. So eventually I gave it up, which I hated to do. Um, I was up in Beechwood Canyon 
Oh, nice. And, yeah, that'd have been cool. I wrote, <laughs> I, I wrote so many songs. I had this great view of looking down. You know, at night you'd, you'd, you'd see the city lights, and I walked down to the Beechwood Cafe every morning for breakfast. It was a it was a really great place. Did yeah. my Tai Chi up there on this path, and eventually I, I just was kind of coming to Nashville more and more and doing demos there. And then my songwriting career was kind of taking off for other people recording the, the songs. And some of the bigger ones that, I mean, really, it was stuff that I'd written when I was in L.A., like The King of Broken Hearts, uh-huh. Halfway Down, and You Don't Seem to Miss Me. So as the cuts kept happening with other people, I would just stay in the studio more and more, whether I had anything ready or whether I was, mm-hmm. because what we face as songwriters is to come up with something different. And my definition of a hit song is something that you, that really knocks you out and you just have this feeling, you know, because you can't control or predict. It's different, you know, our idea of hits. That's always been my kind of concept of a hit. It's like, this is magic to me. I love it. The king of broken hearts doesn't ask much from his friends. And he has quite a few of them. They know he will understand That's just the way it goes The king of broken hearts doesn't know he's a king He's trying to forget other things Like some old chili scenes He's walking through a long I know in most interviews they'll they'll say you know how do you songwrite do you start with a beat or a hook or um or a melody and then of course you would typically say well it comes from all sorts of places or at least I hope you agree with me it comes from all sorts of places how does a songwriter go from taking this idea to taking it to studio to taking it to you know sharing it or seeing if if a label wants to go uh, with it or push it or an artist wants to do it. I mean, there, there's a process to this whole thing that a lot of listeners, I think, would be very intrigued to see how you would take a small idea and turn it into something big. For me, um, a lot of times it's a phrase that you hear or you think about or you read. And then and if you get some kind of a jolt out of it, and then you go from there, like either that's your title mm-hmm. of the song, maybe a great first line. Great way to get you in. Yeah. And so that's kind of the way it happens a lot. Sometimes I'll just get melodies. So I get a lot of melodies. I've written a lot with, uh, co-written a lot with Robert Hunter, who mm-hmm. wrote, wrote a lot with Jerry Garcia. And a lot of times with him, I would send him a melody 
but it would be the arrangement of a song. And a, and a lot of times it would be a spontaneous thing. And then he would come back with a lyric like half an hour to an hour later, which was really amazing. Wow. And then sometimes Robert would give me lyrics that were done. And then I'd look at them and just kind of let the lyric lead me somewhere so looking at a lyric sometimes it either comes to me really quickly like boom that's like the whole thing mm -hmm. or it's like okay that verse okay here's the verse melody or the chorus and and before i wrote with robert there was a, a guy named frank dykus who lived here in nashville he's passed away when i was living in la he would sometimes call me and say i've got a smash and i'd say well, hold uh, on let me let me get let me get a piece of paper and let me get my tape player and so i'd hold the phone and he'd read uh a verse and then i'd go hold on for a second and then a melody would come out for the verse and then i'd and i'd put it down on my tape player and it while we're talking and say, okay, how about the chorus? And then, so the same thing would happen. You know, I'd get a melody, and that happened numerous times with, with Frank, and that's so fun and exciting yeah. when that happens. And um, and so sometimes if a lyricist gives me this, I'll look at it, and it'll come out pretty automatically. And sometimes, though, I set them aside, and that's happened with Robert Hunter. At first, it's like, you know, I'm just not nothing's coming out and then years later something will will happen you can't really control those the magic of creativity but you can open yourself to it you know it, it doesn't always happen and it doesn't always happen when i'm writing alone sometimes i get stuck and sometimes with co-writing with somebody in person, it just you just don't quite get it. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It, it doesn't matter. It, it's exciting and interesting um, when you're co-writing or writing alone, and then in that period of you know however long it takes—an hour to three hours to four hours—it's like wow, something has just been created that wasn't there three or four hours ago and now this is a thing that might you know it's going to enhance my life in a lot of ways and so that's that's really rewarding when that happens what would you say to a, a songwriter i i know especially being over here on the west coast sometimes it can be a little daunting it can be a little daunting sure. to say well I, I think this one's a hit even if it's not a hit for me as an artist, yeah, maybe right. for someone else it might it might be perfect for them. Sure, and, um, sure. Do you have any any advice that uh, a young songwriter or at least an unknown one <laughs> who's not well, so I, young? <laughs> I, I mean, I I would say to songwriters is to constantly work at it and keep refining things and even even when you think you have that song like maybe I've, I've got king of broken hearts you know well that's great that's great to have it but then well, let's just say i'm getting ready to make an album i need 10 more of those mm. 
you know, to really, really, you know, round it out. Because I think sometimes as writers, when we write one song and, and you might think, hey, this is perfect for so-and-so, you know, somebody who's, who's doing well commercially that you like. Hey, you might get that song into that person's hands even, and they might pass on it. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of luck with George Strait, yeah. And but there have been as many songs, you know, probably more. He's cut about fifteen, I think, and it's like there have been at least that many, if not more, of, of songs I've written for him in mind that I thought this is an undeniable hit for him. And I know that they've gotten to him and he just decided that it just wasn't, you know, he didn't hear it the same way. And we have to take that into account. Now, as far as getting a song to that person, because I was lucky enough to have gotten a publishing deal finally. And when I was in my early thirties, they, you know, listen to your stuff and go, "Hey, so and so's going in. We'll take that. We'll we'll try with with that." Now, but if you don't have a publishing deal, which I did not for many years, and and was hoping to get one, you just have to do the networking as far as as putting yourself out there. In these situations, starting with open mic nights, then with your relationships with people you make, musicians, I really guarantee you that eventually all, all of you listening out there, if you're out there, if you're like going to, to open mic nights, whatever, then it, at some point, somebody you meet there is going to say, hey, you know, they're having a seminar next weekend and this producer's coming to town and, you know, or this publisher or whatever. It's, it is out there. And also with, if you are signed or even not signed to a, a performing rights organization like CSAC, BMI or ASCAP, they have offices, for instance, in LA and New York and oh, Nashville. Yeah. And it's it's good to meet some of those people uh, and 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 kind of and, and start to but but it is it really is up to the individual to start developing some relationships, even though at that time and it's kind of like writing song. It's kind of like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to follow my instincts on it. I mean, that's the way it was with me when I started writing and doing demos. It's like, is this any good? I mean, this thing <laughs> just came to me and I worked on it and I'm hearing these different steel parts I want to hear and guitar parts and all that. So I'll demo it. And then as you're demoing it, it's like, is this, am I crazy? Is this any good? So you can't, and then it's the same thing too. It's like with meeting these people and I just encourage though people like say you do get this, you do make a connection with someone who seems receptive to listening to some of your stuff. Give them just a couple or one of a song. It's like, I think this and, and yeah, 
and, and there's and also look, there's different ways. I mean, there's different paths to like say if you're if you're uh, a songwriter wanting to get other people to record your songs it's it's different also than if you are a songwriter who's also a singer that wants to get a you know make a living off of touring yeah. and and hopefully selling records or getting your songs and 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 situations and so there, the, you have to kind of gauge your approach as well with what you're doing, you know, because it is, it is, there are some differences now. Hey, you know, they can both lead to other things. You know, you might be aspiring to be an artist, but then it kind of takes off through your connections with that. People start recording your songs for some reason yeah. that weren't. You could be a so writer. That's what, and that's back. what happened no. with me. I was I was putting out these records. Like when that record "Planet of Love" came out, um, Tony Brown, George Strait's producer, chose "King of Broken Hearts" and and "Where the Sidewalk End." Wrote "Where the Sidewalk Ends" with John Leventhal, and they put him in the Pure Country movie. Mm-hmm. And then eight of those 10 songs got recorded by other artists. So that took the sting off of me going, well, it didn't happen with me on country radio. This record, you know, didn't sell much. I'll probably lose my record deal, (laughs) you know, but, but it was nice to have these other people recording, you know, that, that allowed me to make a living and to keep striving to make records so that you never know there's so many things out of our control but we can only do as good as job as we can possibly do ourselves right towards and and really the key and listen i mentioned networking and that's important and you know and you never know who you're going to meet out there so you, it's it's good to go out and and you know, do gigs, go to people's gigs, you know, do do these open mic things, yeah, go to the these jams, yeah. seminar, the jams, because that's how you meet people. Um, you don't have to move to Nashville to make that happen. You can live wherever you're. You might be listening to this and and uh, have your Missouri bags packed, or, or Carolina, or wherever you live. But, you, you know, it, it's probably a good idea to occasionally make a trip here at least. And then if, if you love it and for some reason if you can get some kind of a, a day job or something to keep you going, I don't think you necessarily have to pack up, come here, not know anybody, but just it's like I'm going to go for it. You know, you it's it's good to have a backup plan and oh, all yeah. this kind of stuff. All those practical things, you know, because you don't. Hey, I was a, after I came to Nashville the first time, I was afraid to to come here and go for it because since it didn't really happen the first time, it's like man. The older I get, if mm. I come here and it doesn't happen, it will devastate me. So you really, you've got to be 
careful with yourself and your your planning for these things. But sure, by all means, you know, come visit if you love it. If you if you if it kind of was like it was for me when I went to L.A. and it's like all of a sudden doors are opening, then you know, go for it. But you can. So the thing is, is what I was going to say is, it's really your answer lies within your songs. It's like if you're a songwriter and it doesn't matter or an artist for that matter, if, if you, no matter what connections you make or who, if, if the music just isn't there, then you've got to keep trying for it. And, and I believe, I firmly believe that if, if you write a song and it's really a great song, you can't keep it down. Eventually, something is going to happen to it. Somebody's going to hear it and want to do something with it. Mm-hmm. That's just, that might seem naive, but that's just, but, but it starts with you and, and it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you can make a great demo out of something that's just, eh, it's okay or whatever. And now listen, that's still a good process and experience for everybody. You know, they're, they're, so no, you should words, enjoy it, all the all, every yes, bit of it, every and, bit and of it's it. a learning thing mm-hmm. too. So, in other words, I'm not saying, hey, if you don't have a something you feels like a hit song, don't even bother <laughs> going into the <laughs> no, studio no, no. or whatever, because that's part of the thing. I mean, gosh, I've probably you know I've cut hundreds of demos that nothing happened with that were pretty good. You know, it's like I say, some of them I feel like our hit songs but they didn't get you know whatever but so that's the thing too is yeah. even though you might have this one song you feel like i mean also too i can't tell you how many times i thought oh my god this isn't i'm so happy that this thing got finished and then <laughs> i start thinking of farms to buy oh, yeah things like this and then nothing happens with a song now look it's fun to dream so, and you got to keep dreaming because so much I think of this creative life is is like is dreaming and and so many things that people start you know songs movies some kind of concept that's creative it's like hey radio they, they show start radio show <laughs> it starts with an idea it's like you you, you might be thinking you know something I I'm really being moved to start and inspire to do a radio show, but I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, right. I haven't done a radio. What the heck am I doing? Is this great? Am I just deluding myself? Well, I you did know, this. But- I did this based out of my pure love of music and wanting to expose people to stories from California, the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. And then of course, songwriters that are coming out that I think are, are quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, I will see you at the Americana Fest event that Good. you're part of. You're, you're my, not only am I uh, emceeing that thing and doing radio interviews uh, while I'm in town, but I'm playing that night as Great. well, that evening. So uh, you, you'll tell me if, if, if you think one of those songs is a hit. I, I'd appreciate okay. that too. I will. You've always been a kind <laughs> guy, man. And uh, I well, sent I sent your manager a picture of me with long hair when I was a young kid. Uh, taking a picture with you at Buck's birthday oh, party. Oh, great! So, oh, cool. um, yeah, I'll send it to you. And uh, yeah, okay. I do. I, that was the one last thing I'll leave you with. That the, the the thing I remember the most about going. Oh wow, Nashville seems like a cool place, because it's like you 
in the green room with uh, Radney Foster and, uh, and, the and the derailers and and just Radney like, yeah, yeah, you guys got to come over to the studio sometime. There's a song. You know, I want to share this song with you. Yeah, I, I can't remember it now, but it's written down. So when you come over, we'll just go over it really quickly. And I was just like, is this how people talk? When, when they've made it, this is great. <laughs> That's funny. Well, hey, I remember sitting at this table with Radney and the derailers, and Radney was asking the derailers, um, hey, well, are you guys, when are you going back in the studio or whatever? And then Radney said, well, I'd like to throw my hat in the ring to produce you guys. That's and right, I, I did. And, and then I jokingly kind of acted like, well, hey, wait a minute. And I said, well, I'd like to throw my hat in the ring <laughs> to produce. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I thank you for your time, man. That has been uh, hey, been really you. great. You know, um, for someone like me who's just been, uh, you know, I, I admired you for several years, and I'm I'm a California guy, so like I just don't make it out to Nashville that much. Um, but sure. I have I have been out to Americana Fest before. This is my first time making a jump from just being. Um, a band leader and a singer out here uh, to like producing and putting shows on and stuff. So I'm, I'm just great. very excited that you're you're part of the uh, Americana Fest showcase that we well, have. Thank you. And I'll look forward to seeing it. Well, there was my interview with the great Jim Lauderdale. Thank you so much, Jim, for taking the time. It's one of those interviews where it's not necessarily me asking a bunch of questions as much as just listening to what this guy has been through and what he knows. And man, that <laughs> I learned a ton from you. Thank you, Jim Lauderdale, for doing this. Remember, you can catch Jim Lauderdale along with Jamie Wyatt and a bunch of other acts hosted by Dave Bernal and Manda Mosier and the California Country Radio Show. It's the California Country Show, an official Americana event at Acme Feed and Seed, Friday, September 13th, 12 to 4.30 p.m. Now, if you want more information on Jim Lauderdale, head to jimlauderdale.com or look him up on Facebook. He's one of those really nice guys in town. Actually, if you want to find Jim Lauderdale, just put your hand out in Nashville. If you're out there, just put your hand out. He'll be there in 30 seconds or less. I guarantee it. And if you want to hear more information on the California Country Show, not only our podcast, but our radio show and the live events, please head to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at CalCountryShow or look me up online, California-Country.com. In fact, if you're a musician, manager, or record label and want to get featured on the California Country Show, especially if you're coming to California, because we play that kind of stuff all the time on the radio show, email me, just Dave, at California-Country.com. Have a great week, everybody. I'm so excited, and I will see you folks in California when I get back home. Cheers. Follow the California Country Show online at California-Country.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cal Country Show.